If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 2nd, 2022. The podcast that stares back at the abyss. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's do a confabulate the news of the bogus. It's good to see more neglected stories showing up in at least the somewhat mainstream media, in this case the Washington Examiner, covering 11 cases of defensive gun use. As we've covered, legal gun owners foil crimes in the U.S. more than one million times every year, according to several different analyses, including one from the CDC, at least the ones that didn't deliberately undercount the way others did. And in most of these cases, well over 99%, the person didn't even fire the gun. Just brandishing it was enough to stop the crime. Of course, that generally doesn't get reported in the news media, especially when the gun isn't fired. There's just nothing really to report. We've also seen that with mass shootings, on average, 14.29 people are killed when the shooter is stopped by police, but just 1.8 when stopped by an armed citizen. So this opinion piece by Amy Swearer and Holden Edwards is welcome, even though it doesn't cover anything unusual. By the way, if the name Amy Swearer sounds familiar, we covered her back in June when Katie Porter in a congressional committee hearing falsely accused her of perjury without giving her a chance to respond. They were prompted to write this by Biden once again insulting and degrading gun owners as being afraid of, quote, deer in Kevlar vests. Speaking of the popularity of the AR-15, which isn't powerful enough to hunt deer even if they're not wearing Kevlar. At any rate, the Second Amendment is not about hunting deer. It's about self-defense, a natural right everyone has just by virtue of being alive. Which means we have the right to resist those who would threaten our rights. Which means we have the right to any tool we can use toward that end. Their examples include a gas station clerk, a man at a family gathering, a man in his car, another man in his kitchen, and a girl in a car outside her house who defended themselves from armed robbers. Also, a woman who was taking a shower had to grab her gun and defend her two children from an intruder who wouldn't stop coming at her. In another example, an Amazon driver shot and wounded a man who attacked him with a knife, saving his own life. Despite the fact that the police said he acted lawfully, Amazon deactivated him as a driver. Boo, Amazon! There were a couple of examples of domestic disputes, one of a woman who shot her husband who was attacking her, and a man who shot his wife's brother after he broke in wearing a bulletproof vest. And in one example, a 19-year-old gunman started shooting people at random when he was shot and wounded by an armed bystander. The gunman had killed three people. If he'd killed one more, it would have been considered a mass shooting. None of these people were facing deer in Kevlar vests. None of these people were trying to be manly or get famous. It wasn't because they had social anxiety or were weak underachievers or had anger issues or were white supremacists or paranoid conspiracy freaks. They got guns to protect themselves. And they found themselves having to do just that. And it's a good thing they did. 
And there's no excuse. It's actually been the case for years that the number one reason people give for owning a gun, according to Pew Research, is for protection, with hunting a distant second. No respondent to the survey said, because of deer and Kevlar vests. Of course, self-defense isn't the best reason to give. The best reason to give people for why you own a gun, or why you encrypt your files and messages, or why you won't speak to police without a lawyer, or anything like that is, because none of your damn business, that's why. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. So we've talked about this before. Telcos, banks, exchanges, and everything else wanting your personally identifiable information, such as social security numbers, driver's license numbers and other IDs, passport information, and even pictures of yourself holding one of these cards. I've been asking the question, what happens when one of these databases is breached and people's identifying information gets out? Well, guess what? That just happened. The Australian telco single Optus Pty Limited just had an enormous cyber intrusion. The hackers claim to have stolen two databases. The first one contains 11.2 million user records with name, date of birth, mobile number, and ID, and 4.2 million ID document numbers, 3.6 million of which were from driver's licenses. The second one contains 10 million address records with email, date of birth, ID, and more, and 3.8 million ID document numbers, 3.2 million of which were from driver's licenses. Yeah, this is bad. Disastrously bad. The hacker wrote, Optus, if you are reading, price for us to not sell data is $1 million US. We give you one week to decide. After that, if Optus doesn't pay up, regular buyers could get the databases for the low, low price of just $300,000. They demanded payment in the privacy coin Monero. And the hackers weren't clever or underwent a huge movie-worthy operation or anything. It was because of a simple flaw in Optus's API. The API allows authorized users, theoretically, to obtain the information by making specialized web requests. It should require authentication, access restrictions to particular data, 
obfuscation of database identifiers, and rate limiting to put a stop to zillions of requests coming in at once. For example, they might have had a system where customers could retrieve their own data. To do so, you'd have to authenticate, say with a password and probably some form of one-time code like with Google Authenticator, in which case they'd return your info and only your info, since you're not authorized to look at anyone else's. But apparently, those basic protections weren't in place. All they needed to do was know how the API access works and make reasonable guesses as to the database structure. They likely would have used a distributed attack using different IP addresses to get the 11 million database entries, but there are techniques to detect and stop that behavior, none of which were apparently in effect. It doesn't help that Optus isn't being very transparent about how it happened, other than the fact that they shut down the attack, which could just mean closing the loophole that let them into the API after it was all over, not stopping it early after a limited number of records were stolen. The Australian government feels that this is serious enough to advise replacing these documents. Unfortunately, with government, it's generally extremely difficult to change driver's license or social security numbers or other such identifiers. And in most cases, they don't consider you having your information compromised as a sufficient reason to change it. And given that upwards of 20 million Aussies will need to do this, the costs would run in the millions. And that's not including the cost to the user of new IDs. For example, users that use their passport data will need to pay for a renewal, which for an Australian passport costs 193 Australian dollars. A UK passport is 75 to 85 pounds, and a US passport is anywhere from 130 to 160 dollars. On top of that, Australia says the time for a replacement passport is at least six weeks, and that was before millions of people had their passport numbers breached. They're also saying Optus should pay for it, and they really should given the ease with which these hackers apparently gained access. But I think the government should fork over some too, since it's unfair to blame the telco fully when it's government that forced them to link all this identifying information to SIM cards in the first place. We need to make it so this kind of thing never happens again. I'm sure Australia and all sorts of other governments are debating what regulations to do now, but I have a humble proposal. How about not invading our privacy and demanding we give up our personal details in the first place. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv.
A lot of people have wondered how Jeffrey Epstein was able to kill himself in such a secure facility. Actually, a lot of people were wondering if he killed himself, but that's a different matter. As we covered at the time, that kind of neglect is rampant in the U.S. prison system, and that was just confirmed by a recent report from the Government Accountability Office. And they found that, last year, not the total deaths in prison, but unreported deaths topped a thousand. It's a real problem, as the report said, according to DOJ, 1.5 million individuals were incarcerated in state prisons and local jails across the U.S. at the end of 2020. DOJ also has found that individuals in these facilities are at higher risk of dying by suicide and homicide. National data on deaths in custody, including those that occurred during the course of an arrest, have been published in the past, and individual accounts continue to be reported by the media and other sources. In 2019, two juveniles, a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, died by suicide at one youth detention center in a three-day time span. In June 2022, 25-year-old Jalen Walker was shot and killed by police during the course of an arrest in Akron, Ohio. So in 2013, the Death in Custody Reporting Act was passed, but sadly, things have changed very little. No one in the DOJ seems to even care what happens in the prisons they claim to be there to rehabilitate prisoners, to the point where they don't even want to count them. The report found, DOJ officials told us in September 2022 that they had not studied the data to determine the means by which the information could be used to reduce deaths in custody, in part because the data provided by states were incomplete or missing. In addition, even if these data were of sufficient quality, DOJ officials indicated the department is not required to publish these data pursuant to DCRA and, as of September 2022, has no plans to do so. In other words, we're not going to do it and you can't make us. And the result is that deaths in prisons are massively undercounted. Quote, Most state submissions contained incomplete records. Of the 47 states that submitted data, we found that two states had provided 100% of records with all the required elements. In contrast, seven states did not report any records with all the required elements. Some states did not accurately account for all deaths in custody that occurred in fiscal year 2021. By reviewing documentation available on state government websites and public databases on arrest-related deaths, we identified nearly a thousand deaths that occurred during fiscal year 2021 that states did not report in response to DCRA. And that's just the ones they could identify. The real number is way above that. Quote, Not all states made data on deaths in correctional facilities available at the time we conducted our audit work, and therefore, we were unable to test the completeness of all state submissions. As a result... The number of prison deaths we identified may be narrower than the universe of prison deaths not reported to DOJ for fiscal year 2021. In reality, only about 30% of death records were complete. Only two states provided 100% complete records, while seven didn't report any with all the required elements, and three states didn't respond at all. For the last six years, the DOJ has been promising to Congress that it will be instituting better reporting requirements any time now, just you wait. 
but they just told the GAO that it still hasn't completed the assessment it promised to Congress a year ago. And every indication is they'll keep shrugging off the law until Congress amends it to make this a requirement, with actual penalties for failure to comply. Quote, Absent congressional action, states and DOJ may continue to expand resources to gather data under DCRA that may not be studied or published, potentially missing an opportunity to inform practices to help reduce deaths in custody. Or even count it, for that matter. And if all this sounds a bit familiar, it really does seem like the kind of half-assed, phoned-in results when they tried to count how many people cops had killed in custody. Congress needs to fix this. But the problem is, they don't seem to care either. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to fluidize this week's Vegas Bogan Emitter. And it's another one for the FDA due to the misinformation we've been regularly covering about e-cigarettes. As we reported, the scientific consensus is that vaping is at least 20 times safer than smoking. And it's probably a lot more than that. But you'd never know that listening to Congress, the news media, or the FDA. They've been pretending that vaping is just as bad as smoking, discouraging smokers from switching to vaping, and avoiding a ton of health problems down the line. To the point where, to a lot of public brouhaha, they banned Juul from selling flavored products. They tried to ban the rest, but that's on hold pending a court challenge. They've denied most new applications to produce and sell e-cigarettes. So now, the FDA has finally admitted that vaping is a lot safer. But they still won't correct the record. Brian King, head of the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products, gave an interview with AP on Monday where he said, quote, I'm fully aware of the misperceptions that are out there and aren't consistent with the known science. We do know that e-cigarettes, as a general class, have markedly less risk than a combustible cigarette product. That said, I think it's very critical that we inform any communication campaigns using science and evidence. It has to be very carefully thought out to ensure that we're maximizing impact and avoiding unintended consequences. According to the 2020 Health Information National Trend Survey, just 2.6% of Americans accurately believed that e-cigarettes were much less harmful than combustible cigarettes. And that means a lot of smokers are discouraged from switching to a much safer product. 
There's also the idiotic cap on nicotine levels, both with cigarettes and with vapes. The whole reason people consume nicotine is to get a level to satisfy their addiction. They'll keep smoking or vaping until that level is reached. So at best, you're not doing anything. When you're making them reduce nicotine in cigarettes, though, it means that smokers have to smoke more to satisfy their cravings, which means they get much more of the crap like tars, which really do cause a ton of harm. Also, e-cigarettes should be a lot cheaper than cigarettes, but taxes were passed to make them cost just as much. Hmm, does this sound to you like it's designed more to protect the tobacco companies from competition than to improve public health? To this date, the FDA's webpage on e-cigarettes says, quote, To date, no e-cigarette has been approved as a cessation device or authorized to make a modified risk claim, and more research is needed to understand the potential risks and benefits these products may offer adults who use tobacco products. And yet, they know it's false. We just heard them acknowledge it's a lot safer, and there's also a ton of testimonials from smokers who credit vaping with them severely reducing their nicotine consumption or even quitting entirely. Of course, there's the age-old cry, Think of the children! Yes, it's all about protecting the kiddies, quote, the FDA monitors the national usage rates for all tobacco products, including an annual youth survey, and has seen a drastic increase in youth use of e-cigarette products in recent years. They go on to call it an epidemic. What they aren't telling you is that this is just replacing the number of youths who would have started smoking anyway. So a lot of people were hoping he'd expand on that at the Global Tobacco and Nicotine Forum two days later. He didn't. He opined about the continuum of risk with combustible cigarettes at the riskiest end, but he said nothing about the public's misconceptions about the relative risks of vaping, misconceptions the FDA is largely responsible for. When Reason Magazine asked King about it, he just said, quote, I can't commit to any specific actions. The answer they got when they pressed an FDA spokes thing was, quote, the FDA continues to explore how best to communicate with the public about the continuum of risk related to tobacco products. We cannot comment or commit to any specific actions at this time. However, we do note that it is critical that the development and implementation of public health education campaigns are evidence-based to best achieve intended effects on the target population while minimizing adverse consequences for the population as a whole. That was a whole lot of words to say absolutely nothing. So don't expect anything to change anytime soon. When it comes to learning the science, once again, we can't trust the very scientific organizations our government created for that very purpose. So all of that makes the FDA this week's biggest bogan emitter. want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. 
To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's prologize this week's Idiot Any Stories is a reading app that's decided to put themselves at the front of copyright bogosity. Back in June, the U.S. government started the Copyright Claims Board, where the Copyright Office holds hearings so that rights holders can recoup damages outside of the federal court system. In that time, more than 150 claims have been filed, most of them dismissed. There has yet to be a verdict in any of them. But the Any Stories case is unique because they're not going against pirates. They're going against Cloudflare. I wonder if they're already regretting Kiwi Farms. Cloudflare protests that there's a big difference between canceling the hosting platform of Kiwi Farms and cutting off CDN infrastructure from sites hosted elsewhere. But the big content companies were never going to accept that. So even though Cloudflare doesn't host Infobog.com, the site they're accusing of piracy, any stories, actually the Singapore company Read ASAP Limited, demanded information about the site. Cloudflare sent them what they had. When Read ASAP followed up, Cloudflare replied, quote, We already provided you with the hosting provider contact information. Please reference our previous responses in greater detail. Furthermore, if you have submitted a valid claim through Cloudflare's abuse portal, we would have already provided the necessary information to the host to allow them to identify the offending account. But Reed ASAP said that the email Cloudflare provided didn't work. They demanded that Cloudflare do more. Quote, You don't reply me back. It might be the last time to inform you to take it serious and provide us the hosting provider's information or web owner's. Apostrophe S like a possessive. As a network service provider, you have the obligation to provide us with information to help us defend our rights. You have not provided us with valid information. Our infringement is ongoing, and if you do not take any action now, we will take action to protect our rights. But what do they expect Cloudflare to do? It's not like it's their fault the email's not working. They don't host it. What, are they supposed to just telepathically determine the real contact email or something? Quote, PLS deal with this matter immediately, PLS contact the hosting provider immediately, and ask them to remove the infringing web. Exclamation point space, exclamation point space, exclamation point space, exclamation point. If you do not deal with this matter now, based on the DMCA, we have informed you several times, but you did not do your duty of care, we will directly file a claim against you at Copyright Claims Board. Cloudflare has no obligation under the DMCA here. They went beyond what they were required to do by providing what details they had and forwarding the takedown notice. 
But that just wasn't enough for any stories. Their claim reads, Due to the infringement, misspelled, it directly led to the continuous decline in the income of the authors we signed. We hope that the pirated websites will apologize to us and immediately remove our exclusive works. We tried many ways to leave messages, often without contacting the infringing website. Finally, we tried to find the service provider, but they cannot give the invalid, misspelled, message and don't deal with it. Hey, I think I see another reason why people might not read your book. By the way, they helpfully provided the link so that anyone can go there and see the pirated book for free. I glanced at it and, yes, it reads exactly like that. Oddly, they didn't request any damages, which is the whole point of this. It might be interesting to see what happens if this claim doesn't go anywhere and they try to sue in federal court. So all of that makes any stories this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this... I said nothing. I simply pulled up my tights and jumped out the privy window. Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from PJ O'Rourke. One of the annoying things about believing in free will and individual responsibility is the difficulty of finding somebody to blame your problems on. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.